Ornithologically Correct is currently unsponsored, but is made possible by Orioles fans and baseball fans just like you. And, you know, me for finally deciding to do this, but mostly, mostly you. Definitely you. Enjoy the show. Yo, how's everybody doing? This is Josh Lynn back with another episode of Ornithologically Correct with Josh Lynn. Since the last time we spoke, a lot of stuff's happened. Uh, it's been a whole playoffs is over. We now have a World Series champion to the Texas Rangers. Congratulations to them after taking care of the Arizona Diamondbacks. And that has left us with a whole offseason to look forward to. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to discuss the offseason, look at a couple potential targets the Orioles could or should pursue. And then at the end, we're going to look at the uh, overall free agent class and make some predictions to see who I, who I think is going to go where. Uh, and those were, sh- I'm sure will will go wrong, but Hey, got to do it. Right. It's, you know, the nature of this whole thing. So uh, really, I think the targets for the Orioles are pretty clear. And at the forefront is pitching both starting and relief. Uh, the uh, the the flaws got exposed there in the ALDS against Texas with the uh, the lack of depth that we had at, at starting pitcher and and bullpen uh, certainly the bullpen after Felix Batista got injured so I and with everything that Michael Elias has said so far in the public in his media availabilities that's going to be goal number one two and three so I'm really not going to touch on position players a lot I wouldn't be surprised if if they maybe pick up a utility player or a backup outfielder but i i don't anticipate anything crazy um like if they spend over five million dollars on a hitter i would be i would be pretty surprised um and then also considering uh, you know we're gonna have to create create some space for some of these prospects to to give them playing time so uh, i i don't see multiple if 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 there is an addition it's going to be i think one i I can't can't envision them making a significant splash for a hitter so uh, this this podcast is going to be solely focused on starting and relief pitching going to dabble into some uh, free agents that fit the criteria the orioles i think would be looking for and then also some potential trade targets because with the number one farm system and the need to create some space for said prospects I think that's going to be uh, a potentially fruitful avenue that Michael Elias could take, uh, certainly more so than than free agency, uh, especially considering who our owner is and the stuff that he said. Uh, but I'm not going to let that put a damper on this episode. Uh, I'm not going to, uh, you know, write off targets yet, except for the obvious, like obviously Otani's not coming here. Uh, and uh, Yoshinabu Yamamoto, not going to come. Uh, so, you know, other than the obvious, everything from here on out to me is is going to be viewed through the lens of a realistic option until John Angelos gives us a reason not to. Uh, so 
And I'm uh, going to start with the starting pitchers. I'm uh, going to start at the top tier of the guys that I, I think would be the most talented fits and then kind of go down into signings that are more middle back end of the rotation. Uh, and for this, I kind of chose guys who I think share similar characteristics to Kyle Gibson, but have a higher upside. Uh, so I think that would be an ideal pickup for me in terms of a middle back the back into the rotation piece. Um, and then obviously some trade targets and then, uh, we will get into the relievers after that, but starting with the free agent starting pitchers. Uh, the number one target for me is Eduardo Rodriguez, 30 years old, left-hander. Orioles fans know him well. He came up in our system, traded him in the uh, summer of 2014 to the Red Sox for Andrew Miller, blossomed into a dependable starting pitcher, won a World Series for them. Uh, I would say you can't really be mad if you're either side. Uh, when it comes to that trade, especially with, for what the Orioles were looking to do in 2014 and how good Andrew Miller was for them. Uh, but anyway, uh, moving on to present day, Erod, he uh, kept coming off a, a solid year. He did have an injury, uh, but posted a 3-3-0 ERA and a 3-6-6 FIP. Uh, that was good enough for three fan graphs war. And like I said, there is a slight injury history there, but in three of the last four years, he's exceeded 150 innings, which is something that you like to see. And uh, he's... I wouldn't necessarily call him a crafty lefty, but he has crafty characteristics, shall we say. Um, he's not a, a soft tosser. He's got a decent fastball uh, that can touch the mid-90s, but mostly sits in the low 90s. And also uses a the four-seam and the cutter. He likes to mix those in, and uh, that's how he can still manage to get his uh, case per nine close to nine, despite the, the premium velocity. So... Um, I, I definitely think he fits the profile of a, like a number two, number three guy, uh, threw a slider more this year and got good results, but it's not historically been a plus pitch for him. So that could be something intriguing, uh, that maybe the Orioles pitching, uh, pitching coaching and, uh, development staff can, can help him continue that success with, um, and his, his batted ball data doesn't, doesn't jump off the page. Um, not a, a huge swing and miss guy, um, not a overpowering strikeout guy, kind of average. Um, but he avoids hard contact and he doesn't walk people, which is really important. And so all that combined, and like I said, you get a a nice number two, number three starter. He's got a roughly hovers around 60%, uh, fly ball rate which is a good matchup for Camden Yards. And especially considering he's a man, I think I've said, especially considering like four times already. So uh, if you're planning a drinking game, maybe that would be a good, uh, good one to go off of, but no, uh, I digress. Uh, That, that that fly ball proneness would be a good matchup for Camden Yards. And the fact that he's a left-hander and would ostensibly get to use that left field cavern uh, to his advantage could be beneficial. Um, and, but other than that, I don't think like the fact that he used to be an Oriole will factor in, into his decision. I would imagine pretty much everybody he interacted with, uh, from a coaching standpoint is, is gone. Um, except maybe Buck Britton. I don't know if he, he, uh, pitched for a, a Buck Britton managed team, but so it's an entirely new organization as far as he's concerned. Um, it just came out, uh, I believe last night that, uh, location is not going to be. 
uh, a factor when it comes to his next destination, uh, which it that did come up at the trade deadline. The Dodgers had a deal in place to acquire him, and he uh, exercised his no trade rights because he didn't want to to uproot his family in the middle of the season. But obviously, with the the off season, you get a couple of months to get that situated, and obviously the the millions of tens of millions of dollars helps. But uh, so there is going to be some stiff competition for Eduardo Rodriguez. But I think the the price isn't going to get ridiculous to the point where it's an automatic non-starter. Um, so he opted out of three years and forty nine million, which is a little over sixteen per year. So I would think he's going to be seeking more than that, and will get a little bit more than that. Um, I would I would guess he's going to get somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty million a year. Um, I would. I could see a team giving him a fifth year to kind of push the deal over the finish line. Uh, but with the 30 year olds, I, I would personally be more comfortable in the, in the four for 80 range, but uh, I don't know if that'll be quite enough to get it done. Um, but yeah, I, I would say out of the realistic top ish tier options, I would say Eduardo Rodriguez is, is the guy that fits the bill the most and has the, the highest likelihood of actually ending up in Oriole, I would say. Uh, and then moving on to another guy who would also be preferable, but may not be as likely to to be an Oriole is Jordan Montgomery. Uh, everybody is familiar with him after his outstanding playoff performance this uh, this October. Uh, 30-year-old absolutely dominated and played a big a part as any in in taking the Rangers to the World Series. Uh, although funnily enough, the Orioles did get to him in game two, got five runs off of him. So uh, I will say that just to kind of pop our pop our chests out a little bit. Uh, he had a, a career year by most measures, 320 ERA, 3.56 4.3 fan graphs war in between St. Louis and Texas, where he was traded at the deadline, along with Chris Stratton. Uh, and I know he was uh, someone that Orioles fans, myself included, wanted to see them go after at the trade deadline. Uh, but it just didn't didn't materialize. And the, the Rangers took advantage and they uh, very clearly benefited from that. Uh, absolute horse in the playoffs. And he's another uh, similar to Rodriguez where he's not going to not going to kill you with overpowering fastball velocity, but he's got enough to keep you humble. And he mixes in the breaking stuff. and he's got great command. So it's, you know, it's a pretty simple recipe for him. Uh, keeps the ball in the yard. Uh, his home runs per nine was under one last year. So that's a huge, a huge advantage, um, which helps, you know, obviously not as big of a deal in, in such a pitcher's park like Cannon Yards, but it only, it only benefits and uh, makes him a better pitcher. Uh, now he is a Scott Boris client. So that's gonna probably raise his price uh, inherently, just because Scott Boris always gets the most for his clients. So, and it's not even that I know he's been viewed historically as kind of a boogeyman when it comes to the Orioles, because for a long time it seemed like the ownership and front office was averse to dealing with him. But I I don't think that's an issue anymore. Obviously. Had Chris Davis uh, negotiated the extension with him. Uh, Weeders was a Boris client. Um, 
Gunnar Henderson is a Boris client. So I, I think that's at this point is, is something of myth, but uh, him being a good agent is uh, a real thing that they're going to have to deal with. And the fact that there's going to be suitors lined up across the black, uh, across the um, down the block is what I meant to say. I am killing it today with my enunciation, right? Um, a lot of teams are going to be interested in Jordan Montgomery is basically what I'm trying to say. Every major contender. And then you even have teams like Boston and the Yankees that are trying to get back into contention that have money to spend. So I don't know. I don't know how realistic it is. Um, and Ben Clemens, they, uh, for fan graphs, they just released their top 50 free agents article projects. He's going to get five for 140 million, which is, I think is like 28 million average annual value. Uh, which I can't envision in a million years the Orioles ever ever going that high. Um, I, I can't even like even them getting the five years for a pitcher seems a bit of a pipe dream, but for 140 million for Montgomery, it and obviously his value was going to go up after after his playoff performance, but that just seems a tad inflated for a pitcher like him. Um, like I, and obviously it's not to be hypocritical and kind of just talk down the the things that I just commended him for, like his durability and stuff like that. But the guys with the, you know, not marginal velocity, just have a, a lower margin for error as they get older. Um, so I just, you, that combined with the money, I just, I don't, I don't know if the Orioles will get him, but uh, he would be my second preference in terms of free agents, um, because I still think even if even if he tails off at the end, I think they could still get two very good years from him and a decent third. So um, that's definitely that would be preferred option number two. And then now we're going to go kind of down a level to guys who, uh, like I said in the intro, are, are more of number three, number four guys who have Kyle Gibson characteristics but with upside to be better. Uh, and the first guy is Lucas Giolito, who is uh, 29 years old, had a uh, weird year, I would say. Uh, not only just based on performance, but uh, just his, uh, he covered a lot of territory this year on three teams, started out with the White Sox. That obviously went downhill, went to the Angels in that uh, their flailing attempt to, become relevant at the trade deadline. And then uh, he was waived a couple of weeks later by the angels when they realized that they can't paper over uh, an iceberg size crack and uh, gave him up for nothing after trading prospects for him and a couple other guys. So he finished his year with Cleveland and is now a free agent. And this is a guy who a couple of years ago was talked about as one of the best pitchers in baseball, uh, in 2019, he was an American League Cy Young contender, had another good year in 2020, and then it's just kind of gone south a bit for him. Uh, certainly last year, he had a 4.88 ERA and a 5.27 FIP between those three teams. Uh, but there's still a lot to like about Giolito, even if he doesn't regain the form he once had. Uh, he eats innings, so even if you're not getting vintage Giolito performances, you're still going to get some coverage for the bullpen and you're not going to put them in a, in a uh, rough situation where they have to pitch five to six innings. 
Um, so in the past six years, uh, he's thrown, uh, then that, that's just since he's uh, been a, a full-time major league pitcher, has thrown 173 in the third innings, 176 in two-thirds innings. Uh, 2020 was COVID, so not going to count that. Come back in 21 with 178 and two-thirds innings, 161 and two-thirds innings, and then last year, 184 in the third innings. So you're getting innings consistently from this guy, which is a a great quality to have. And it's an indispensable quality to have, even if it's not a guy that's going to be a factor in your playoff rotation. Uh, just simply, again, giving a bullpen the bullpen time to rest, uh, covering those innings if you go down a starter. So... Uh, and then we we've seen it firsthand with Gibson and Jordan Lyles, just that constant every fifth day, knowing that you're going to get probably going to get at least six innings uh, is just such a a great thing to be able to depend on when you are contending for a playoff spot and eventually a World Series like the Orioles are trying to do. Um, and the thing he can still generate swing and misses and strikeouts that has not left. Uh, he's still very, very good at that. Uh, his fastball velo is n not really changed much. Uh, he kind of sits low to mid 90s. Um, and his changeup and his slider are his best pitches. And that's kind of, they're kind of what has failed him. And his fastball has become less effective because of that, I, I would venture to guess. Um, his, his, um, The, the WOBA against his slider in 2021 was 245, which is excellent. Uh, and if you're a hitter, not good at all. If uh, in 2023, it was 319. So that's a huge jump. Uh, and that's about like a major league average WOBA. Uh, so if he can get a hold of that problem, and if the Orioles can, can somehow work on that with him, um, I know they've had success working with guys sliders in the past. So uh, if they can even get 50% of that production back, that would go a long way into making him a consistently effective starter. Uh, like I said, not, not an ace anymore, but I, I don't like, he could become a solid number three again, if he just gets his, his stuff back in order. And it, it seems more like an execution issue than it was him not being good anymore. So it, depending on the price, I think it's definitely worth the shot. Uh, like a short term, like a one year deal somewhere in the range of similar to what Gibson got, like 10 to $12 million. Uh, you could, or if he wants like an option, but um, you know, if he wants to take a, a short term deal to in an attempt to rebuild his value and get a bigger payday, I think the Orioles would be a good fit for that. Um, and now the one thing I will, I will say that is, is incredibly alarming. Uh, he gave up a lot of home runs last year, 41 to be exact, which uh, not quite Lance Lynn levels, but it, that's, that's not good. That is, uh, you're not going to be a consistently effective pitcher if you give up home runs at that rate. Uh, now going to Camden Yards by default would lower that number. But again, if he can get his feel back for his changer change up and his slider, this is, I think, has the potential to be a really good pickup for the Orioles. So he would be an option. And then another guy who comes with a, a caveat uh, is Tyler Malley. 
He's a 29-year-old righty, uh, pitched with Minnesota last year, was previously with the Reds. Uh, he was traded in the 2022 deadline, and the Reds got Spencer Steer and Christian Encarnacion Strand. Uh, so that kind of worked out for the Reds in hindsight. But no, Malley, uh, he was very good for Minnesota, very good for for Cincinnati as well uh, last year. So he had a 3-1-6 ERA and a 4-19 uh, however, he only threw 25 and two-thirds innings and had to get Tommy John in May. So the caveat, obviously, is that he will not be ready from day one, and his most likely return is is sometime in the summer. But I just I, I think the upside is is there and makes him worth worth a look. Um, he's got a career 4.30 ERA, which on the surface doesn't look impressive, but you have to consider he spent most of his career in Cincinnati playing for a bad team and playing in uh, one of the most hitter friendly parks in baseball. So, and I, I, I hate to harp on Camden yards and the advantage it gives every time I talk about a pitcher, but it it's real and it exists and it's something that could be enticing for him. Uh, and, you know, obviously once moving to, to target field, which is a little bit better of an environment for pitchers, he had success as well. So, uh, not worried about that. He's a fly ball pitcher, uh, primarily fastball slider, has a splitter and a cutter, uh, but he didn't use it much in 2023. Uh, that could be because he had was having elbow issues. I, uh, cutters are not not great for that. Uh, you'll famously remember uh, Dan Duquette not allowing Dylan Bundy to throw a cutter because they had a theory that it was hurting his fastball velocity and and hurting his his elbow causing undue stress to his elbow so uh that that could be possible but it's it's really hard to to glean anything out of a 25 inning sample uh but i'm like i said betting on on the career sample that he's uh already put forth and i think the with obviously you're, you're going to get him on it on a discount given that he is not going to pitch the whole year but again another guy who maybe you could get on like a one-year incentive-based deal or a, a one-year deal with the player option. Uh, again, for him to regain health, get his get his form back, and most importantly, help the Orioles. Uh, I and with just how ubiquitous Tommy John is at this point, I, I don't have any concerns about him regaining velo or form or anything like that. So uh, if the Orioles are willing to pay him for a few months to rehab, I think Mally would be uh, a really good option. And really, other than than those free agent pitchers, I nobody else stuck out to me. Uh, and again, the trade route has a potential to be really fruitful for the Orioles because they have so many assets to deal with, and presumably they have payroll flexibility, though we don't know for sure. Uh, and this guy is my number one option period between the free agents and uh, trade options. Uh, and his name is Dylan Cease of uh, uh, the Chicago White Sox, 27 year old uh, rumored that the Orioles were sniffing around him at the deadline, but the price was a little too high. Uh, I know I remember reading tweets that they were asking for Jackson holiday. I don't know how true that is, but uh, obviously that's a, a non-starter. <laughs> um, but Cease is, a guy who did not have a year befitting of 
a pitcher with his talent, but I think there could be some fixable reason, you know, easily fixable reasons why uh, his numbers had a four five eight ERA. FIP was lower, three seven two, which is decent. Still had three point seven Fangraphs WAR through one hundred and seventy innings. Uh, granted, it's not the you know the two point two ERA he had in twenty twenty two, but he's still every bit the pitcher that he was that year. He's a strikeout machine. Uh, his slider is absurd. Uh, it is one of the best individual pitches in baseball, full stop. Uh, and even while taking, you know, a bit of a decline in terms of run value that this past year, it, it was still a ridiculous pitch. Uh, you know, he's got the, the mid-90s fastball. Uh, 77th percentile averages about 95. So he can ramp it up to like 97, 98 occasionally. Um, and he's under team control for 2024 and 25, which is awesome that they, you know, any potential trade, it would be for somebody that's not just a one-year rental. And he's projected by Spotrack to get $8.3 million in arbitration this year. So uh, wouldn't break the bank by any means would be cheaper than, what Gibson cost them last year, uh, what any of the other pitchers cost them last year for that matter. So that's a plus in his, uh, in his corner. And I, I just, and I know you can't really quantify this, but I just wonder how much of his struggles came down to just the White Sox is just not a good situation. Like it's just, it's bad. Like the team's bad. The manager was bad ownership's bad the front office was not great the just the vibes are not good and i just can't imagine having to work in that environment and and being successful at the most optimal of levels i just i ha i wonder if that had anything to do with it uh and obviously like their defense was not good um, his, you know, his FIP was like almost a full run lower than his ERA. So um, just going into an, an Orioles defense that is very talented, I think would help as well. And playing for a winning team in a clubhouse that uh, gets along and supports each other uh, has none of the toxicity that the White Sox clubhouse has. So I I am not a at all dissuaded by his performance, and he also finished the year strong. Uh, in September, he had a two point eight three ERA with thirty eight strikeouts to eight walks. Uh, so yeah, I'm not concerned at all. I still think he's an ace, um, and I think part of it uh, going back to um, what I was saying about Giolito in terms of him having execution problems. I think Cease had a bit of that last year as well. Um, in, in 22, he did an excellent job of keeping his fastball elevated and out of hittable spots. And he also did the same with his slider. He peppered the corner that is uh, down and into lefties, low and away to righties. And he was consistently dotting that slider in that area. Uh, and it kind of let them both leak over the plate a little bit more in 2023, which obviously could lead to the, the slight decline in performance. But this is all stuff 
to me that can just be fine-tuned and I have full faith in the Orioles analytics staff, player development, the pitching coaches. Um, no reason I, to me why Cease couldn't be couldn't be a, a frontline starter again. Uh, now, this is the the bugaboo is is the cost. Um, it's going to take a significant amount of of capital to acquire a player of Cease's caliber, and if those rumors uh, that were have any veracity to them around the deadline and what they were asking the Orioles for. Uh, it's definitely not going to be easy. I would venture to guess that one of Colton Kowser and Heston Kerstad would have to be involved. Uh, I would personally prefer to move Kowser over Kerstad. I like them both, but you know, you gotta, you gotta give something to get something. Uh, I could see one of like a Joey Ortiz and or Connor Norby getting included because the Orioles have such depth in middle infield prospects that it's not going to kill them to trade one, even though uh, both Ortiz and Norby are highly regarded. Uh, and then a pitching prospect, the Orioles are are kind of thin in that department. So do they want to give up a Cade Povich, who obviously they're high on because they sought him out in the Jorge Lopez trade, or do they do the White Sox like Chase McDermott? Um, that could be a, another guy to to add into the deal. But I would say it's probably going to take three to four good prospects to get, to get cease. Um, but to me, it's worth it. It's again, you got to give something to get something, but um, you know, he's got the two years of team control, I think is what does it for me. If it was a one-year rental, I would be uh, much more reticent to, to let Kowser go. But for two years of Dylan cease, I think that's a completely fair price. So uh, again, yeah, my number one target for the Orioles. And uh, I just, I don't know, I have an affinity for guys who wear weird numbers. Like, dude wears 84. That's that's awesome. Like, we need more guys wearing tight end and hockey numbers in baseball. And we need more pitchers wearing single digits, too, just as an aside. Uh, another pitching, a potential pitching acquisition uh, for me is Brian Wu of the Seattle Mariners. He's a 23-year-old, so... Obviously, that means he's got tons of team control control left. Uh, actually, he still has the full six years because he was not on the roster long enough this year to qualify for a full year of service time. And I think this is a good fit for a trade because each team has something the other wants. Uh, I think the Mariners are, are trying to upgrade their offense and are looking for either established major league players or prospects that are major league ready. And the Mariners have a ton of starting pitching depth that the Orioles could use. So to me, these teams are incredibly compatible. And uh, I know there are some other guys like Bryce Miller is another young pitcher. The Mariners have that could potentially be available, but like, but I don't, they're not going to trade Castillo, not going to trade Gilbert, not going to trade Kirby. So for me, Wu would be the, the best option. Um, this dude all he does is throw fastballs. Uh, uh, 87.6% of the time was a fastball. He's got three different ones. He's got the four seamer, the sinker, and the cutter that he throws in the mid-90s, can touch 96, 97. Uh, really love the sinker. It has got a ton of arm side run. Uh, and he... Uh, doesn't produce a ton of... He's not a ground ball maniac. Like, he's... 
I think for, about 40 percent uh, in the 40th percentile for for ground balls, rather sorry uh, for misspeaking, but in the 40th percentile for ground ball percentage. Uh, so not going to kill you with with uh, not going to kill you with too many fly balls. Um, there, the home runs were a little bit of a problem, uh, 13 and 87 and two thirds innings, but again, coming to a, a more hitter friendly or pitcher friendly ballpark helps that. Uh, so in terms of a potential package, I wonder now he would not be the headliner by any means, but, uh, I wonder if Ramona Urias could be a fit here. Uh, they did not get much production at all out of second base. Colton Wong was, uh, lackluster for them. Not at all what they were expecting. Uh, and then just in general, you know, they could potentially lose Teoscar Hernandez. And I'm not saying Urias could fill that offensive production, uh, because he's not the hitter that Teoscar is, but having that established major league guy, uh, at a position where you, were kind of struggling at last year's could kind of mitigate that loss and they could still bring him back for, you know, all we know, but they don't really have any middle infield prospects that are close to being major league ready. So I wonder if just having a guy like Urias would, would help in that deal. Um, I don't, I wouldn't go Kowser Kerstad in a deal for Wu. I think that's just a tad too much. Um, Kobe Mayo, two uh it's yeah i'm i'm i don't want to sell on mayo yet um going back to ortiz and norby i can see them being a good fit uh because i think i think ortiz could play in the majors right now uh, i think the only the only reason he really didn't is because of the the depth problem that that the orioles have uh norby could be another one um he kind of his power uh, at the beginning of the year was not what it was uh, in 2022, but he eventually regained his power stroke. Uh, didn't quite get over 500 slugging percentage, but it, he definitely came on strong at the end of the year. So I could see see Norby being an attractive option. Um, but yeah, you're going to have to, especially for a guy who who came up and put, put forth 87 and two-thirds good innings and proved himself to be a, a future potential, you know, number two, number three starter with six full years of team control, it's going to take a decent amount to pry him away. So um, not comfortable. I don't think cows are cursed dad, but there's some other combinations there. I think you could kind of work through and, and get a deal done. Um, and now this is a guy who is more of an enigma and more of a a buy low candidate, uh, and that's Brady Singer from Kansas City. Uh, he's a 27-year-old right-hander. He broke out in in 2022. He had a fantastic year: a 3.23 ERA, uh, 3.58 FIP, almost nine strikeouts for nine innings, uh, and then regressed hard this year uh, to a 5.52 ERA. Uh, now his FIP was 4.29, which suggests a little bit of bad luck. Um, I've been high on him since he's come up and I think he would be a great project for the Orioles. Um, he, his, his below and the pitch movement 
didn't really change much from 22 to 23. Um, this again, I hate to to harp on the execution word, but uh, his his sinker seemed to leak a little bit more over the over the plate a little bit more than it did in 2022, which uh, probably contributed to his struggles. His strikeout rate dropped by about six percent, though his his whiff rate stayed the same. So the fact that he's still missing bats is encouraging. Um, he has a low walk rate. He's in the 72nd percentile in walks, uh, 50% ground ball rate. So uh, would be a good fit for the infield defense. He's under team control through uh, 2026. So we would have three years of uh, three full years of service for him. Should we acquire him? Um, the cost is interesting because I don't know. It's hard to gauge just because, like, obviously he wasn't great last year, but then he's just one year removed from such a good season. He still has three years of, of control left. Um, if you could get something done with prospects in, like, the teens in the, that tier, like guys like maybe Judd Fabian, Max Wagner, uh, Seth Johnson, Hudson Haskin, or even uh, Carter Baumler, who I know some people are high on, and is coming back from from Tommy John. Uh, if you can get something done with like two of those guys, uh, I think that would be def definitely something worth pursuing for the Orioles. I think his upside is is a solid number three. I uh, I don't think he'll ever be a top of the rotation guy, but uh, I, I like the ground ball profile. Uh, I think he's very capable of getting his strikeout rate up a little bit um, back up to closer to, to nine per nine innings uh, like he did in 2022. So I think Singer would be a great buy low candidate, but again, it's, it's hard to gauge what the Royals would want um, and they could be on completely separate pages. So, um, but again, if the price is, is reasonable, I think Singer would be a, a really good, good option. And that does it for starting pitching. So we're going to take a quick break, come back, and we're going to discuss some potential bullpen options. So don't miss it. All right. And we are back. Welcome back to ornith Ornithologically Correct. Now we're going to get into some bullpen talk. Uh, that's obviously a area of concern considering the Orioles are going to be missing their closer for the entirety of 2024 in Felix Batista and the fact that it came up short in the postseason when the starters uh, kind of failed to get deep into the games. Um, I, In terms of free agency, there's not a ton that sticks out, like Josh Hader, obviously, but I just I don't think he's a realistic option between what he's going to get money-wise and the competition. Like, there's just going to be so many teams offer – you know, after his services that are going to be willing to offer him um, amounts of money that the Orioles will not. So uh, I'm not considering him for this exercise. I think in terms of free agency, I think the best bet is getting guys who fill middle relief roles who could be upgrades uh, over the medium to low leverage relievers. Uh, and the first guy I want to talk about is probably not on the Orioles radar or Orioles fans radars rather, but it's uh, Nick Martinez who has been pitching for the San Diego Padres. He's 33 years old. Uh, he's a classic swing man. 
um, started and uh, pitched in relief, uh, and he's routinely exceeding 100 innings uh, each year at, in relief, which is amazing. Uh, I think he would be a really good upgrade over Mike Bauman's role, uh, where you can use him in long relief or even in a late inning situation if you need. Uh, like I know Hyde used Bauman in the eighth in certain games when uh, when Cano or Cienel Perez wasn't available after the Batista injury. So I, I that would be a tremendous upgrade. I I'm I think that Bauman spot is is one that that should be upgraded, and I think Martinez would be fantastic. Uh, he had a three four three ERA and a three nine two FIP in 2020-2023. And he's another guy that's a, a ground ball heavy pitcher. Uh, and again, another, you know, another fit for the infield defense. And we talk a lot about getting fly ball pitchers because of left field, but we have a really, the Orioles have a really good infield defense. And I think getting guys who are heavy ground ball pitchers and letting Gunner and Mateo and Westberg and Mountcastle cook, uh, I think that's a, that's not a bad way to go. Um, Obviously, you don't want balls in play a lot, but if you're going to, you know, put them on the ground and put a good defense out there to stop them. So I definitely love that ground ball profile. Uh, the price, I think, considering the role might be too rich for the Orioles blood, he declined uh, $8 million player options for 2024 and 25. So you'd think he's going to be looking for something in that range. Um, and I don't know if the Orioles would do that for a swing man basically. But again, I just think having a player, a pitcher like that who can throw hundred innings a year and is extremely versatile, can be used in late inning roles. And he could, if there's an injury, he could spot start and is capable of pitching deep into the game. That's just such a valuable asset to me. And I think the Orioles pursuing him would be, it would behoove them greatly to, to pursue Nick Martinez. Um, and there's really no one else like him on the market, which obviously could work against them because that means that other teams are going to be interested in him as well. But uh, that would, Martinez would be a great pickup for me. Uh, and the other uh, free agent reliever, for, uh, another one is, is Brent Suter, uh, 35 or 34 year old who was pitching with the Rockies last year and was pretty much the only good thing that happened to the Rockies bullpen, uh, which was a historically bad tire fire. Uh, that, that blew, I believe they were tied with the Rangers. They threw a uh, blue 33 saves last year. So uh, yeah, that's the kind of season the Rockies bullpen had, but he was fantastic. Uh, he's a, this is a classic crafty lefty. Uh, I know I was talking about Eduardo Rodriguez had crafty lefty characteristics, but this guy is it. Um, he has, how about this juxtaposition? So, his average fastball velocity is 87 miles an hour on the dot, uh, which is in, in the first percentile. His average exit velocity is in the 100th percentile. So he is an enigma. Um, that is an absurd stat. I laughed when I saw it um, because especially today, like guys that with no fastball basically uh, generally don't survive. So the fact that he's surviving and thriving is is remarkable. Um, and 
naturally he doesn't miss bats, doesn't get a lot of strikeouts, but he just doesn't give up hard contact. He avoids hard contact like he's allergic to it. Um, it is, it's just, I, I want to see him work. Just, <laughs> I want that player profile on the Orioles. I want to see him work. I want to see this dude lobbing up batting practice and still missing bat or still, you know, missing barrels. Like I, I just, I need this in my life. Um, I don't know if a lefty is the best option for the bullpen because there's already, you already have Coulomb, Perez, and then DL Hall if they choose to keep him there. So I don't know if you'd want to carry four lefties, but if you are, please let it be Brent Suter. <laughs> um, and I, he's not going to break the bank. I don't think I, I would be surprised if he got anything more than $5 million a year. Um, so I, I think it would be a good option. Uh, now, Mike Elias would have to set some pride aside as a Yale alum to hire a Harvard graduate. Uh, but I, I can't imagine that being much of an issue if uh, he can give them results. So yeah, Brent Suter is another free agent that I think would be a good fit in a middle relief role. Uh, John Brebia is another one who pitched for the Giants. Uh, he would, I, I would imagine, cost much less than, than even Suter. Uh, just another cheap option who I think could be an upgrade over like, you know, Bauman or Webb, Jacob Webb or uh, Austin Voth when he was up here. Just another option to build bullpen depth. Uh, his stat cast data is not really off the charts or going to blow you away, uh, but he's got a big fastball and he his strikeout rate last year was 29.2%, which is incredibly good. So that would be worth a flyer to me. And then uh, another... Another option that's a kind of a hot button topic on an Orioles Twitter has been a potential return for Shintaro Fujinami. I am my first inclination is is aversion to that. Uh, now, like the stuff speaks for itself. Dude throws a hundred, got this ninety-four mile per hour splitter. Who's mixing that slider in at the end of last year that was getting results? It's just he really struggled anytime the the leverage was increased and he even made comments. I know, I think it was after his first uh, appearance with the Orioles against Tampa that he was kind of in his head a little bit and let his nerves get to him. And it, it kind of seemed that way just watching him pitch. And obviously I don't know him or, or don't have true insight into this, but just watching him, it seemed like anytime he was in a high leverage situation, it just kind of, he was a little nervy uh, and I'm just not comfortable having him in a role like that. So if he does come back, I would only really be okay with it if two other relievers were signed so he can be sequestered and, you know, just left to handle low medium leverage situations um, or mop up duty. Uh, because he, you know, is was a starting pitcher in the past as recently as as last year. But any any role beyond that, I, I would not be comfortable having him. Um, and it sucks because he seems like a really good dude who fit into the the clubhouse right away. Uh, and I love his stuff, but it's just I don't know how wise uh, putting him in a, any significant bullpen role would be, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, but if, like I said, multiple signings, bring him back and, you know, let him fight amongst them. But if he's a viewed as a 
a significant uh, offseason re-edition, I would be less than thrilled about that, unfortunately. Um, and Elias has also said he wants to get another guy in the back end of the bullpen to help cover for Batista's injury and give Yenya Cano a little bit more coverage so he's not pitching multiple innings all the time. And I think the trade market is is prime for that. And I'm going to start uh, shooting about as high as you can go goal-wise. Uh, and that's with the Brewers' Devin Williams, uh, 29-year-old closers. He's one of the best relievers in baseball, bar none. Uh, and the Brewers are appear to be in a bit of a flux right now. They just lost Craig Council to the Cubs. Uh, David Stearns, uh, their front office executive, left for the Mets. Uh, they were bounced from the playoffs unceremoniously by Arizona. Uh, Corbin Burns is entering his uh, his last year before free agency. Brandon Woodruff is going to be out next year. So I think this is a period of transit, a potential period of transition for the Brewers where they maybe want to unload some pieces. And I think Williams would be a, a prime a prime candidate as somebody they can get a haul for uh, to help rebuild around. Uh, some of the young hitters that they have. Um, so just to kind of contextualize how good uh, Devin Williams has been since 2020, uh, he has the fifth most fan graphs war among elite pitchers. Uh, and the only guys that have more than him are Liam Hendricks, Josh Hader, Ryan Presley, and Rysel Iglesias. So he is in elite company and he's pitched consistently throughout that time as well. So you don't, you know, injuries are not a concern with him uh, except for, one that I'll get to later. <laughs> um, had nothing to do with his performance, though. Uh, and then also in that same time frame since 2020, he has the fourth highest strikeouts per nine. And the only three guys that have a higher strikeout per nine rate than him are Edwin Diaz, the aforementioned hater, and Aroldis Chapman. So he's an elite company uh, in pretty much every statistical category that you look at. He's got a mid, uh, mid-90s fastball can ramp it up a little bit higher, but the the star of his show is his changeup that uh, Pitching Ninja has dubbed the the, tur- uh, the airbender. Uh, it is one of the most prolific pitches in all of baseball, and I don't understand how anybody makes contact with it. Um, he's would instantly be, I think, the Orioles' closer. Um, not a not a multi-inning guy. He generally sticks to one inning. Um, so they could kind of use Cano as more of like a high leverage guy. Um, I could bring him in and even like in the sixth or seventh inning of a playoff game. And then that way you, and then you'd still have, have Williams in the ninth. Um, and then going forward after that, you'd have Batista as well. Um, and that's, so he's under control uh, through 2025. So he would have two years, two years left before free agency. So he would get to, we would potentially get to see a uh, Williams Batista Cano bullpen, which uh, makes me very giddy on the inside. You can't tell right now, but I'm jumping around my apartment thinking about it. Um, I love deep bullpens. And it, uh, that was one, like my favorite feature of the early 2010s Orioles that were competitive. I just haven't having so much less stress in those innings is, is priceless. It really is. Um, and then, you know, especially when it's a bunch of alien freaks who are throwing triple digit fastballs and change ups like Devin Williams, it, it would just be so much fun to watch and would give the Orioles in a, a legitimate advantage over a lot of teams in a playoff scenario. 
Um, the only thing, uh, if there is a celebration, just keep him away from walls or any sort of a hard object. Uh, he missed the 2021 playoffs famously because he uh, punched a wall in celebration after they, the Brewers clinched and broke his hand. Uh, so if maybe just switch to to padded walls or get him some sock and boppers, uh, just something to protect his hands um, because he is a very excited boy and he can't help himself when his team does well. And the Orioles are probably going to do pretty well. So, yeah, we need to save his hands and uh, without taking away the enthusiasm uh, and the celebration. So I think the sock and boppers would be a good compromise. Um, but we'll cross that bridge if if we ever get there and the Orioles acquire him. Obviously, it would take a haul to get him. Uh, probably, I don't know if it would match the cease package, but it would it would take a haul um, to get him probably multiple top 100 prospects, I would have to guess. So, uh, but again, I think it's worth the price. I think the only true untouchables to me in our system are Holiday, Basayo, and maybe Kobe Mayo, but Mayo is a guy that if, if the right player came along, I would move. So I would consider him 100% untouchable. Uh, I don't think Williams is the guy I would move him for, but I could see the Brewers asking for someone of his caliber. Uh, but I I think that could be a situation where the Orioles could use their prospect depth to their advantage and kind of package multiple guys together. Uh, and if they can get something done, I think that would be a great option. Uh, I, th I think back into the bullpen is a, is I would say it's a it's a must just giving giving Cano a break because he uh, he got worn down at the end of the year when when Batista went out and they had to rely on him so much so just anything to to keep the the best relievers fresh and consistently rested is is imperative to me so Devin Williams would be at the top of the list and the other guy that I would prioritize. Uh, would be from the Chicago White Sox, uh, Gregory Santos. He's a 24-year-old reliever. He was traded to the White Sox uh, in the 2022 offseason. Uh, so he's pre-arb. Uh, he has five more years of control left. Um, so you would think, like, why would the White Sox trade a guy like that? Like I said, they're a complete mess, and I think they should, at this point, just trade anybody that has any sort of value on the major league roster because they're not going to be competitive anytime soon, in my opinion. Um, and why Santos? Uh, he has one of the most explosive fastballs in baseball. It's right up there with with Felix Batista. Uh, it's uh, averages 98, exceeds 100 for fairly often, uh, has a, a slider in the low 90s that's uh, tight and has a lot of avert, late vertical movement, uh, had the 17th most run value of any individual pitch in baseball last year. So basically means um, anytime he threw a slider, good stuff happens and runs don't generally score. Uh, and coincidentally enough that his uh, run value for his slider was tied with Batista's four seamer and Yenier Cano's sinker. Uh, so that was just a, a fun little, little tidbit. Um, walks were an issue early in his career. Uh, when he came up initially with the giants, he was, he struggled mightily. Uh, and early in his minor league career, he also struggled mightily, but he got his uh, walks for nine down to 2.31 last year, which is uh, which is very good. And, it, you know, it just I can't 
I can't speak enough about this guy. And then another, the other thing that really sticks out to him is he just doesn't ever give up home runs. Uh, he gave up two in 66 in a third inning last year. So that's not even a, a worry. Uh, another gr- ground ball heavy guy. Uh, he's not an established elite power arm, but he he's he's going to be. I think he's got every every tool in his arsenal. The fastball slider combo is just gross. Um, to have another power reliever in the back end of the bullpen in in Batista's absence would be huge, um, and especially one that doesn't have command issues, so you don't really have to worry in the way that you did when uh, like Perez had off games or uh, you know Cano didn't have a, a lot of multi-walk games, but would struggle with, with walks at, the, at a certain time or um, command at certain times. So a reliable power pitcher uh, can't go wrong in the back of the bullpen. Uh, the cost to acquire him. Uh, I, it's hard to say he doesn't have the proven track record, but he also, you get the team control. He's making major league minimum for the next two years. Uh, you know, it's it's going to probably take a, a decent haul, maybe like two good prospects. Um, I would say he'd be cheaper than Devin Williams for sure. But uh, again, to me, worth worth the cost in reason. Uh, I wouldn't trade any of – I would say like – I think like their number – like eight to 12 prospects, somewhere in that range I would be comfortable dealing from. Uh, definitely wouldn't give like a cows or a curse dead for him, but uh, Gregory Santos would be my second most preferred option behind Devin Williams. Uh, should the Orioles choose to pursue a reliever from the trade route. And uh, that, that wraps up the pitching recap. And uh, when we come back from this short break, I'm going to make a couple predictions and take my best guess at where the prominent free agents are going to end up. And that will be coming up right after this. All right, we are back. And now my uh, official attempt at free agent predictions. I did I did some research. You know, I read some stuff. I'm, I'm a red guy. <laughs> but uh, these are largely uh, shots in the dark. I'm sure they're going to go wrong. But it just wouldn't be an off-season related podcast if I wasn't making predictions. So... Uh, gonna gonna do the uh, a handful of the top top free agents, starting with obviously Shohei Otani, who is the unprecedented free agent. We've never seen a case like this. Uh, I'm would assume he's going to get five hundred million dollars, and I that obviously limits his uh, potential suitors. I think he's going to go to the Dodgers. Uh, they they have the most money. Uh, it wouldn't be. He could like he could theoretically not have to move. Uh, doesn't have to worry about selling his house or anything like that. Relocate. I don't know if he has a family, but if he does, he doesn't have to worry about relocating them. Gets to stay in L.A. So I think it's a natural fit. The Dodgers um, also uh, could use a hitter, and then when he recovers from Tommy John, uh, would be able to pitch again. And they uh, had some pitching issues this year. So I, I think adding a, a frontline starter 
would be great for them. And obviously when you get a, uh, an MVP hitter in the same package, uh, that, that never hurts. So I think Otani's going to go to the Dodgers. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if he went to the Mets either, but I just, I don't see that one. I think he's, I think he's Dodger bound. Um, Yoshinabu Yamamoto, the, the Japanese right-hander, uh, I think he does go to the Mets. He's going to get probably north of $200 million. Uh, the Yankees are another option for him. Uh, Dodgers, obviously. Uh, don't, I don't, maybe another team I'm forgetting, but, but I think Mets and Yankees are, are going to be his main suitors. And I think the Mets went out. Uh, I don't think they are rebuilding by any sense. Um, they freed up a, a little bit of money dealing Scherzer and, uh, and Verlander. So I think that gives them enough, you know, it's flexibility is really not a good word to use for them because they can spend the, theoretically whatever the hell they want. Um, so I, I think he gets a deal from the Mets. Uh, I'm curious to see how long, um, just, well, he's 25. So you would think seven to eight years is, is on the table there. So, um, but yeah, I think he's definitely getting getting north of 200 mil. So, so the Mets will be the fit for that. Uh, moving on to Cody Bellinger, who had a career resurgence after looking like he had gotten monstered uh, after winning a National League MVP with the Dodgers. Uh, I think he is going to the Giants. I don't think the Cubs will resign him. Uh, he's asking for a stupid amount of money. Um, I know. I think he was, I've seen some projections like somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 years for 260, which is uh, insane. And it's, it's hard. For, I don't know. I like if the Orioles were in a position where they needed a player like him, I don't know. Cause it's just that, that blip of, of just erosion of performance just scares me, even though he's kind of like all indications last year showed that he was, for the most part, back to his, his usual self, but a decade of commitment to, to him seems excessive, but I, I think, I think a team will get it. I think, or, or give it to him. And I think it'll be the giants. Uh, there seems like they're looking to, to make a push back into, you know, legitimate contention, uh, just um, hired Bob Melvin, who is an established manager and you figure he's not going to want to want to manage a non-contender. Uh, I think that's part of what caused friction in San Diego. So I think they're going to splash some some cash, and I think Bellinger is a good fit for them. They uh, Michael Conforto opted out, um, and then they have Mitch Haniger in the outfield, who is good when he's healthy, but he's almost never healthy. So uh, I I think that is a fit as an outfielder, and then he can also obviously move to to first base and play that at an above average level as well. Uh, moving on to Aaron Nola. Uh, I think he goes back to the Phillies. Uh, the Phillies have expressed interest in bringing him back. He seems happy there. Um, the Phillies need him. Um, they cannot afford to lose, lose a pitcher of his stature. Um, this, you know, I think um, it just, it just makes too much sense for him to go elsewhere. Um, 
I the Yankees I know would probably want him. I, I've heard I've seen St. Louis rumored on MLB trade rumors, but I, I just think Philly makes too much sense for Nola, and I, I think they'll figure out a way to uh, to come together for a reunion. Uh, Blake Snell. Um, this one is the biggest shot in the dark for me because I, I just I really don't know. Um, I think so. If Nola does leave, I think the Phillies would be the the top option. Um, but I think I think the Red Sox are going to try and do something crazy and try and again another team trying to vault themselves back into into contention after a disappointing year. Uh, another team that needs pitching. Uh, another team that you would assume has the money available to to make a deal like that and you know Craig Breslow will want to make a statement as you know in his first offseason in charge of the Red Sox so I I think that would be a reasonable fit but that one I I'm the least confident in prediction wise uh Blake Snell uh Jordan Montgomery uh I think he goes back to the Rangers uh, it could be interesting because he's a Boris client, uh, and there's going to be a lot of, of suitors for him, but the Rangers have, uh, no qualms of spending money uh, as we've seen, and it's effective for them. So, uh, I think, I think Monty stays, stays with the Rangers, uh, f- probably a five-year deal. If, man, I just, if he gets 20, like close to that 28 million that Ben Clemens predicted, I would just be stunned. Um, but again, I think if a team is willing to spend that much, I, I could see the Rangers doing that. Um, I also think the Rangers will get Josh Hader. They have a pressing need for, a, for bullpen help. Uh, they held it together in the postseason long enough for them to win a world series, but that was just not a good unit during the regular season. And you would imagine they want to upgrade that as, you know, as much as possible. And there's no better way to do that than getting uh, a dominant closer. Who's the best reliever on the market. Um, probably going to get around $20 million annually. Um, but I think the the Rangers are desperate enough for bullpen help that they can make, uh, make that work. Um, now I haven't mentioned the Dodgers since Otani. And like I said, they're going to be looking for pitching help next year, which Otani cannot provide them. So uh, I think they'll get Sonny Gray. Uh, who had a uh, Cy Young finalist caliber year with Minnesota. Um, I know, like, I don't, I don't think the Yankees are a fit just because he pitched there before, didn't do well. And I know Cashman uh, wasn't, didn't seem too enthralled by his performance and and comments he made after, uh, after Gray left. So I don't think the Yankees are an option. Um, So, yeah, I think that's, that's the guy the Dodgers pick to to fill their to fill their a hole for them next year until Otani could recover from Tommy John and pitch for them as well. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez. Now this is a little bit of hopium uh, and a little bit of homerism all rolled up into a ball, but I'm I'm going with the Orioles. I'm I'm gonna guess that the Orioles bring him in. Um, I just they. So basically like Mike Elias is just, he's, I, I know he's too smart to not see what the Orioles need and to know that just getting another like lower tier eight to $10 million guy 
is going to solve any problems. And there's just, and again, John Angelos being the wild card and what he's willing to spend, but just they have such little money committed to the payroll. It just, it makes so much sense. They could get him around $20 million a year and still have a modest payroll. Uh, he's a good fit for the ballpark. They need another left-handed starter. Uh, on, well, depending on how much faith you have in Cole Irvin. It just, it makes sense. And I think the Orioles do it. And then you get uh, potentially a rotation of Bradish, Rodriguez, Eduardo Rodriguez, Grayson Rodriguez, John Means, and then um, Kramer or Wells or another free agent they bring in or, you know, uh, even like if McDermott or Popish comes up. So uh, it would strengthen the Orioles rotation mightily, give them a better chance, uh, give them a guy who will assuredly start a playoff game if healthy. So, um, yeah, going Erod to the Orioles. Uh, hope I don't get let down but I am mentally preparing for it. Um, and you might be wondering, uh, you didn't say any of those guys were going to go to the Yankees, right? Uh, and that's correct. I don't think any of those guys are going to go to the Yankees, um, but I don't think they're going to end the offseason empty-handed. So I'm going to go on a limb and say that they engage the Milwaukee Brewers and trade for Corbin Burns. Um, Burns is... Uh, like I said earlier, on the last year of his contract. Uh, and it seems like the relationship between he and the organization has been frayed uh, since the arbitration hearing where they not only lowballed him, but um, basically besmirched his ability, which is part and parcel with all those arbitration hearings. But uh, to do that to... Corbin Burns, who's been one of the best pitchers in baseball over several years and is criminally underpaid thanks to the arbitration and, and pre-arbitration system, uh, is petty and it seems to have backfired in their face. So, um, you know, when you have that and then the the state of flux that the team is in, uh, I think he's almost assuredly going to get moved. And I think he makes sense for the Yankees uh, who are looking for another guy at the top of the rotation to go with Cole. Uh, and rode on if if he's can can regain his form. So I think that's going to be their their marquee pitching acquisition. I think they're going to get Corbin Burns. Um, yeah, I don't like. I know Tyler Glasnow's available, but I don't think I don't think the Rays would trade him in the division, which is why I didn't even list him as an option for the Orioles either. Um, so yeah, Burns makes sense. Um, and I'm sure there's other guys that I'm forgetting. Um, but he would be, he just seems like a Yankee acquisition in, in, in terms of his, you know, his status and his skill level. So that's where I'm going. And, uh, with that, that includes my ornithologically correct off season outlook extravaganza. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, and like I have said on Twitter, uh, on which you can Follow me at the, o the underscore OC underscore podcast and at JJ Lynn JJ. Uh, we have our own RSS feed now. We are uh, no longer showing up under the pesky podcast feed. We have our own feed. So if you search ornithologically correct uh, on any of the major podcast services, Spotify, uh, Apple podcasts, uh, I will be there. So please feel free to like subscribe. 
give me that thumbs up or the five-star rating. Uh, I really appreciate it. I thank everybody for listening, downloading, uh, paying attention to a single syllable that I utter. It means more to me than you'll ever know. And until next time, this has been Ornithologically Correct. I have been Josh Lynn, and I will talk to y'all later.